it's like a safety net which sitting there and protect you from the situation. Welcome to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective Podcast. My name is Dominic Pepper, and in this podcast, we interview leaders and expert clinicians in critical care. We ask them to share their insights about relevant critical care topics. And for today, we go to the Mayo Clinic to discuss novel ICU data displays. Okay, uh, so before we get started, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Vitaly Herasevich. I'm a physician by training, uh, but in past 12 years, uh, I do what called applied clinical informatics. Our work uh, mostly in uh, ICU environment, and uh, over the time we develop a number of the clinical tools which apply to practice, including uh, we started from databases which organize data together, uh, then moved to decision support systems and some uh, data visualization tools as well. I'm active with informatics and professional society, do little teaching on the informatics and so on. Great. Um, so for our audience members, can you tell us what uh, novel ICU data displays are and why do we actually need them? Uh, no, novel it's, it means new, but it's concept it's really not new to get better data representation. As we move to uh, EMR implementation everywhere, we really found what EMR is kind of the old technology and uh, EMR, they originate from accounting systems and really organize around the databases. Uh, the presentation of the data, it looks like database tables and so and with tabs, scroll bars and everything which is a great summary of the data, but it's still suboptimal for clinical use because uh, clinical usage uh, requires some uh, sense of the data, organizing this data in a usable way. What this novel uh, displays do, they pull data from uh, EMR and sources and organize data in a way what's the best for clinical usage, not for uh, other usage. And uh, they live usually on the top of electronic medical record. And can you give an example as to how this data is organized or how is it different from the data that we would be seeing usually in our electronic uh, medical record? Yeah, this data organized uh, in display, uh, first... Uh, uh, this displays use modern technology and ability to do visualization. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, regular data uh, organization in regular EMRs, they mostly done around the tables, like tables, filters, or so, and tabs. If you need access laboratory data, you go to laboratory tab and see data there. If you need to see physiology data, you go to like tab or so for physiology data. If you need to see clinical notes, you go to tab with clinical notes and then scroll through the all possible clinical notes to find what exactly you need. 
what this uh, ICU displays do. They actually pull data what it matter based on the prioritization and based on the uh, needs. And all this based on the rigorous research, previous research, uh, and present this data in a be best possible visualization, which easy to read, easy to understand and connect. Let, uh, let's say this simple example. Um, there are some, uh, uh, for example, heart rate data and vasopressor data. And in usual EMR, it's divided uh, and uh, drawn in different tabs. But in novel interface, uh, heart rate and vasopressors data, which affect heart rate, they would sit together. You don't need to go between uh, different screens to connect these two data points. That's connect systems connected together for you and show in a way what you like. I got you. And then in terms of um, the, these new uh, novel ICU data displays, um, uh, has any have any studies been performed to show that they improve ICU clinical outcomes? Yes, uh, there are a number of the studies done in yeah in uh, in ICU environment. And before, uh, because we uh, we work in this space, I could refer for uh, our studies which. Uh, which were done uh, on topic. And uh, one of the studies, uh, what we complete and published in 2015, that uh, was implementation of uh, one of these displays in intensive care unit. And we use uh, step-wage cluster randomized trial because for technology, it's really a good design to do because before, after uh, design, it's not very good for any IT intervention because so many things going on and over the time uh, there are other co-founders uh, which could be affect outcome. And uh, randomized, uh, purely randomized blinded trial, it's impossible to do uh, on the technology in most situations. We had this uh, pilot step wage cluster randomized trial uh, and that's actually system show very positive results on the pre-rounds. Um, on the pre-rounds, clinicians, residents, they spent less time to gather information together, and uh, have the significant saving of the time. Other small studies, uh, not in this particular show, actually what is decrease uh, cognitive load. Uh, we use NASA TLX, uh, uh, NASA TLX uh, uh, test to prove it, and also reduce potential errors. And as I mentioned, that's re improve efficiency because uh, time spent interaction with technology uh, become reduced. It's reduced, and they have uh, ability to spend more time with patients. Another uh, study was published on the technology, but it's not by our group. Um, uh, it evaluate technology what uh, use uh, what was developed use uh, one of the CMS uh, grant and technology uh, implemented this novel display implemented was evaluated post and pre. Uh, implementation, which I mentioned, not very strong study design. 
for this situation, but even with that, it shows very significant saving in a cost of the care on the ICU patient. It's also decreased hospital length of the stay and total, yeah, total charges. Uh, yeah, it's, there are some monetary value and patient-centered value. Uh, I believe there are more studies coming, but it's really difficult to do uh, big-scale informatics intervention and appropriately measure uh, impact on that. I get you. And then in terms of uh, um, misconceptions, uh, uh, what do you think are the common misconceptions uh, about using novel IC data displays? What are the challenges that uh, you've encountered when uh, speaking to physicians about it? Uh, probably first at all, there's a general knowledge what it is. Uh, people usually don't understand this concept of the like EMR enhancer, which uh, not replacing of EMR by any means. The system not designed and not supposed to replace EMR. It's a something was sitting on the top of the uh, existing system or under hood, whatever uh, better term would be, and enhance ability to make this data, uh, use this uh, EMR system. It's not replacing of EMR. That's probably biggest misconception. And then, um, so my understanding is that it's basically a platform that's on top of the EMR um, it's supposed to enhance the physician's ability to have use the available data. What would you say to some clinicians who would say this is uh, just more information, um, and I'm already drowning in in information? Um, how would you respond to that? Oh no, that's absolutely. We we never ever uh, got such response, and uh, again, other studies what we have done on these displays uh, show. Uh, uh, show decrease of uh, cognitive load and we got only positive response because the system uh, design reduce data points, not increase data points. Uh, and people who start uh, use this system, they really uh, do not understand how they did not have this before. Uh, because the uh, system by design uh, reduce data points rather than increase data points. It just make usage of EMR more simpler for clinical use. Again, there are side of the documentation, side of the billing, and other things, but we are talking about displays, how we extract data and how we use data for clinical purpose. I get you. So, so basically, it's a filter of sorts. So uh, some clinicians may um, say, uh, how do I know that I'm getting the right data? I assume in that case, it's up to the clinician to go look for that additional data. Uh, yes, uh, because, again, that's reduced data set, and uh, this reduced data set based on the uh, previous studies. Uh, let's say before we built uh, one of our uh, interfaces, we ask clinicians, we approach clinicians and ask, okay, you see, uh, you saw this patient, what data exactly you use for this patient and what uh, you want to be alerted for this patient. And with thousand, thousand interactions, we actually establish a pretty nice data set what would be usable uh, in, in critical care by like 
in a general cases. When clinicians need more data, the system actually linked to source system and uh, clicking by, I mean, there are click which actually bring to uh, original place in EMR and there are whole data set available. In terms of the quality of data or uh, like you ask uh, how you ensure what data is right, uh, of course, there are rigorous quality control of these systems, and they need to be tested in safe environment uh, to make sure what data is correct. Literally, there are two interfaces on the two screens, and uh, a person who evaluates is going through the system and point, you know, in two places in EMR and see if data is correct. And all possible technical assurances there and so on. I mean, we don't release the system in a practice before we 100% ensure what it's safe and correct system. Yeah, that's usual technical stuff. I get you. I get you. So, for example, if I were to uh, develop a sepsis um, uh, novel ICU data display, um, what do you? What would you offer in terms of uh, for the clinician uh, to use? Uh, we have that system as well. Yeah, uh, I mean most of the most of the uh, similar systems and similar alert system would done. Uh, they concentrate on the detection algorithm. Detection algorithm is great, but uh, it's never ever would be hundred percent accurate, hundred percent sensitive, specific, and so on. Uh, and that's not only for electronic system laboratory methods. They also always have some false positive, false negative cases. Uh, instead, to concentrate on the improvement algorithm, we, for example, for sepsis case, we have pretty robust, uh, reliable algorithm with good performance. But instead to go and can improve these decimals in uh, sensitivity and specificity, we concentrate on the workflow process. And this system actually gives something back to clinicians, not just notify them, but analyze they provide their action, uh, bundle compliance, and give data to help them to stay with bundle compliance, provide feedback, and so on. I mean, it's a helper. And also, we analyze cases which already intervention started, and we don't notify clinicians about cases which they already know about it and intervention started. I mean, there are a little bit more logic behind workflow rather than detection algorithm. I get you, I get you. Um, and then in terms of pitfalls or controversies in using novel ICU data displays, uh, what, what, what would you say uh, the pitfalls are? It's probably biggest problem would be uh, correct extraction data from electronic medical record, uh, data availability, quality of data, uh, and probably uh, for... Uh, ICU environment, the most important piece is availability of the real time. Uh, because clinicians, they do work first and they document it. And when uh, people start to develop algorithm or systems, they, uh, the assumption is what data is readily available. But it's not true. 
because, for example, uh, for radiology re report, that need that takes like two, four, six hours, depend on the facility. Um, to get, to get this report, radiology report available in EMR, data not uh, it's really not real time, and that's a pitfall because uh, when we start to talk about these systems, we start uh, start talking about uh, real time systems, and the general perception is something like you know beside monitors, which is real real time, but in reality it's not real time. And the, uh, the really one of the challenge to get this data as close uh, as much to um, real time. And then in terms of um, HIPAA compliance, uh, have you all encountered any challenges uh, with HIPAA compliance or costs uh, when using uh, novel ICU data displays? Um, I would not see any problem with that because uh, whole process is really the same like with any EMR and IT system. There are rigorous process to make sure what the systems uh, uh, systems HIPAA compliant, uh, and technically that could be two type of the systems which. Uh, one would be on the premise, it's a system which standalone system and stay within hospital firewall, and another which could be cloud system. It's a modern fancy word, what used for many different things, but um, and you can hear that there are some like HIPAA compliant clouds or so, but uh, the true uh, true system. The, uh, push the identified data to the cloud, HIPAA compliant cloud. Push, uh, proceed this with rules and algorithms, and push data back to back to the hospital and re-identify this data. Uh, but again, that's a more technical challenge than anything else. Okay, and then in terms of rolling out um, these data displays to different generations, as you know. The medical workforce has both millennials, uh, Generation Xers, baby boomers. Have you noticed a, de a, a differential uptake um, across the different generations? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, with yeah, of course, uh, younger generation is better with technology. Some older generation, uh, we have excellent examples who eager to learn and get this and uh, become super users of the technology. But of course, there are some resistance from uh, physicians who in practice and close to retirement or so. Uh, they have pretty established workflow. They pre have pretty established routine. And... Um, and when you introduce something new and potentially better or better, they are resistant for that. But I would like to mention this challenge, this problem is not pertinent to healthcare alone. It's everywhere in any industry, any discipline like that. If you establish your routine, you probably would be resistant to change. If yeah, if you're younger, you you probably more flexible, and especially with technology because. Young generation, they just, you know, <laughs> joking, they're born with smartphone. <laughs> in a... That's true, and, and people like their routines. Um, in terms of, uh, I mean, you mentioned that a number of studies have been done uh, looking at these novel ICU data displays. 
Um, how do you tease apart whether uh, the, it's the novel ICU data display that's uh, improving the outcomes or that it's not another co-intervention? Because a lot of these programs have a lot of different facets. So, I mean, I imagine it's sometimes difficult to tease apart what actually improves the outcome. Yeah, the, that's true. And yeah, with technology, especially difficult to do. Uh, but uh, really in this situation, everything can up uh, uh, in clinical epidemiology and clinical research, how to design better study. And uh, technology has some... Uh, some specific difference from usual uh, clinical research study designs, but in general, uh, picking right design, picking uh, co-founders, picking yeah, good intervention and outcome points that help to eliminate any biases and uh, uh, any uh, biases and co-founders. But uh, it's a it's a challenge. It's a challenge, and uh, still, yeah. Still, testing technology is a very rudimentary area, especially evaluation technology on the clinical impact. Uh, that's yeah, that's a challenge. And then, in terms of um, unintended consequences, uh, I, I remember when uh, the, the, the EMR was getting rolled out. Um, during residency, um, a lot of people were excited about the fact that we would have data available across different uh, hospitals and across clinics. But one of the unintended consequences was that uh, there's a lot uh, uh, less patient satisfaction because doctors ended up spending more time with the computers than with the patients. And mm -hmm. the doctors found out that they had to do a lot more documentation. And that's with the rollout of the EMR. So what do you think would be unintended consequences of using novel ICU data displays? Um, one of them become very obvious and we never uh, expect to have it. Uh, when we introduce a uh, novel interface in uh, ICU, we found what uh, there is some resistance from residents. They, yeah, they they really spent. I mean, that was very appreciated by critical care fellows, but residents who probably uh, have little interest in critical care in a future career, they use this start to use this technology and found what instead to spend time in a back room going through the MR and you know put numbers on the paper and then present on the rounds. Now everything available for them. And they just need to make decisions and do some uh, patient treatments. And some of, uh, yeah, some of residents, they are not very comfortable with this <laughs> new, new task and new free time, what they get from the technology. Uh, yeah, that's probably negative uh, and something what we did not expect. But there are also positive uh, positive impact. One of our critical care fellows at that time, we did this uh, early uh, early stage uh, trial when we turned this system for some specific group of the users or so, and I got a mail from uh, this fellow who said, uh, I see accidentally system, uh, I have no access to this system. Could you please turn it back? I cannot live with, uh, without it anymore. 
And that was like such a male. But two years later, he became staff physician and uh, another facility at Mayo Clinic. And uh, he really cannot live without it anymore. And he was so persistent to bring this technology to his uh, ICU. Oh, that's definitely great to hear. Um, and then in terms of diagnostic advances, um, what do you think is going to change in the next uh, three to five years in ICU data displays? Yeah, if you if you talk about uh, technology in diagnostic advances, I probably predict what uh, we will use uh, more systems to detect uh, let's say, let's call it outliers or unintended pathways, diagnostic errors. It's like fraud detection in a banking system. And because we got more and more technology in a place and people just uh, become yeah, sick of the technology. Like, let's say you got like 20 alerts on something on a different from the different problems, different uh, syndromes or so, probably become sick of the technology. But instead of saying what to do, systems uh, will detect outliers. They are silent. It's like a safety net which is sitting there and protect you from the situation when you forgot to do something on get out of the uh, intended care path or get some error or so. Instead of advising what to do, it's just safety net. And that probably improved this diagnostic, uh, diagnostic ability of the people. They still uh, they still stay as a human. Computers will not replace them, but they will have peace of mind from technology. Gotcha. And then in which uh, top three polls would you want to impart to fellows or junior faculty about uh, critical care in general? Yeah, I I could say this from perspective of the clinical informatics because that's a field uh, where I spent most of the time in the past decade. Um, first, probably not many people are aware what clinical informatics become a new subspeciality. From 2011, uh, that's a new subspeciality, the same like cardiology, nephrology, critical care, and there are fellowships available uh, nationwide. Uh, yeah, young physicians, they can apply to clinical informatics fellowship after residency. Uh, that's a good opportunity to learn something what would be new and exciting in the future. Uh, the, also, another piece, uh, what I would say, they really try to learn data and TMR, and not because, uh, not because that's... Uh, not because that's a something what we have now, but because that's something what would uh, drive healthcare in the future. Even today, if you look for any hospital floor or ICU, everybody in the front of the computers, uh, a lot of mobile devices there. But role of the technology will increase over the time, and uh, that just would be there. It stays. And probably last one. Uh, uh, in term of the in term of the technology, if they really want to make impact, they need to work with IT colleagues and 
they need to drive these changes rather than accept changes from IT. They often happen, motivation for IT is a little bit different. They want reliable system with low cost and uh, system what would work from a technical standpoint. But uh, from the clinical standpoint, the tasks and problems, they're different. And especially as we get more and more and more data, uh, we need to drive these changes and work with IT to drive it. And probably last one would be a misunderstanding of the big data. Uh, big data is a great next thing, but um, you heard a lot what uh, people try to mine electronic medical record. Let's get data from electronic medical record and do prediction model. That's probably never going to work. And the reason for that, because data in electronic medical record has pretest probability. The laboratory test is there because clinicians suspect something and order this test. Until everything would be routine screening test, there would be no such advancement in this prediction, prediction power. I mean, uh, to do real prediction, we need to get big data, which data outside electronic medical record. I don't know what it would be, but of course there are privacy issues or so, but um, data connect to, let's say, Again, that's a privacy issue, but know how you spend, uh, yeah, how you, what you eat, what you are doing in your free time. I mean, simple example, uh, Lyme disease. If you know, like camping reservation, campsite reservation, and know what this person going to campsites in some endemic places, there are probably higher risk of the Lyme disease. I mean, there are no way to predict this from EMR data, but there are way to predict it to use some enhanced EMR data. And that probably, yeah, that probably what uh, young clinicians need to learn and keep in mind when they uh, start to work in the future systems. So if I'm hearing correctly, you're saying that a lot of the um, electronic medical record um, studies that are coming out, um, there's a lot of indication bias because the reason that a clinician ordered a test or ordered a therapy. How would you recommend people get around that? From what I gather, you're saying one possibility is that the test be done on all patients to limit uh, the effect of pretest probability. Uh, what else could people do to get around uh, the, the biases inherent in um, uh, big data? I mean, from user perspective, uh, just do critical appraisal of uh, all this new knowledge and uh, really understand how these conclusions or data derivate. And yeah, from, let's say, developer side, that needs to be, I mean, that's all, uh, that's all uh, problems uh, need to take into account for uh, model development. I mean, there are some modifiable factors and non-modifiable. I mean, uh, elderly people, they are dying more often. And when I see prediction model, uh, which include age, and uh, age as a significant factor, 
of the mortality prediction, that's a predictable. I mean, that model does not work. Yeah, that needs to be something modifiable. I get you. Well, thank you very much, uh, Vitaly. It's, it's been great chatting with you. A big thank you to Dr. Vitaly Hrasevich. And a big thank you to all of you for listening to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective podcast. I'm Dominic Pepper for the American Thoracic Society.